Well, we'll end today uh, in the Gospel of John chapter 9. We'll go to the Word of God. There's a lot of articles uh, coming out right now about the growing number of people in our country who no longer believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, come to save people. Um, a lot of these articles focus on listing reasons why people are in, in, in growing numbers no longer believe. Our passage today shows us some folks who cannot believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And there's three different kinds in our passage. There are many different kinds in the world, but in this passage in John, there are three different kinds. You're going to see some folks who just don't believe that people can be changed like that. They just don't believe God could heal someone. You're going to see folks who believe that if God does change someone, he changes them into someone just like them. So if someone doesn't look like them then they weren't really changed by God. And then you'll see some who are afraid, afraid of what they'll lose if they follow Jesus, afraid to be cast out and left out from their, in this case, town, but in our case, culture and society. Now, as we study these three different types of people who don't believe, I hope that we gain two things. First, I hope we gain understanding Because it's our mission as a church to proclaim the good news of Jesus to people who don't believe. And we can't do that if we don't really understand the reasons why they don't believe. If we just think of them as an enemy or something like that, that's not going to help us uh, to share with them the good news of Jesus. The second thing that I hope we get is some strength. Some strength for our own faith. Because the same things that make it hard for these folks not to believe tempt us every day also. So let's jump into John chapter 9. Now, John chapter 9 starts with a healing. Uh, Jesus is walking down the road, and there is a, a beggar, and he's blind. In fact, he's been blind since he was born. And Jesus heals him and gives him sight. And that creates a big stir. And that's where we start in verse 8 with the big stir. His neighbors and others who knew him as a blind beggar asked each other, Isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? Some said he was. Others said, No, he just looks like him. But the beggar kept saying, Yes, I'm the same one. They asked, Who healed you? What happened? And he told them, The man they called Jesus made mud, spread it over my eyes, and told me, go wash in the pool of Siloam, or go to the pool of Siloam and wash yourself. So I went and washed, and now I can see. Where is he now, they asked. I don't know, he replied. There are folks standing there who say, this just can't be the same guy. It's easier for them to believe That he's a body double. They're like, ah, he just looks like that guy. That that sort of thing just can't happen. For some folks, it's hard to believe that God could change someone and heal someone. Uh, I have a very good friend who was here at the very beginning of of Lakeland Community Church. Uh, He just recently moved away. He's probably watching on live stream this morning. But by his own story, he was someone who was cranky and hard to get along with, especially at work. But after he started coming back to church and God began to do a a work in his life again, he became joyful. He became friendly. And the people at work began to say, hey, have you heard about the guy in IT who started taking drugs? That's the rumor that went around at work. It couldn't be church. People don't change that radically. This guy must be on drugs. That was an easier story for them to believe. Um, There are some folks who, once they write bad under someone's name, 
They write it in ink. And that stays there. Now, why do they do that? Why do they do that? Uh, I believe they do that because they are protecting themselves from hope and from disappointment. You know, if I have hurt someone, and I've hurt a lot of people in my life, but then God does a work in my life and I try to reach out to be friends with them again. If they let me do that, and then I go back and have a day like I did before and hurt them again, that's too much to risk for a lot of folks. Far easier to just give everybody one shot and once they hurt or disappoint you, just write bad under their name and leave it. For them, that's a better life to live. That's our understanding of why someone might do this. But it doesn't make it okay. Those folks need to be rescued by God because they are headed for a very bad life going around writing bad under everyone's name in ink. First of all, everyone they associate with is human. And so they're eventually all going to disappoint them, tell a little white lie, um, not follow through on what they said. They're eventually going to have bad written under so many names that they're alone. That they're alone. These folks are also headed for a huge hypocrisy because they themselves sometimes have a fit of rage, an immature day, tell a little fib, Don't do what they said they would do. But they don't want people writing bad under their name forever. They want a pass. They want folks to understand. I was afraid. I was having a bad day. I was depressed. A lot of stuff had happened. They want folks to have grace and understanding for them. But they don't give it to anyone else. And that's a a grave sin of hypocrisy. So these folks need the good news of Jesus. Even though we understand why they do it. They're afraid to be disappointed again. I hope that understanding helps us share faith with them. I hope it also gives you and I strength. Because some of you have had someone write bad under your name. And they're not going to let that go. And they're not going to let you off from that grudge. But you know what? That's their loss. If they want to miss out on everything God's going to do in your life and through your life from here on out... That's their loss. That's not yours. You continue to follow Christ and let those miracles come. It doesn't matter if they don't believe it's real. You know that it is. Let's go to our second type of person who just can't believe in Jesus. Then they took the man who had been blind to the Pharisees. That was a group of really popular teachers at that time. Because it was on the Sabbath, Jesus had made mud and healed him. The Pharisees asked the man all about it. So he told them, he put mud over my eyes and when I washed it away, I could see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man, Jesus, is not from God for he's working on the Sabbath. Others said, but how could an ordinary sinner do such miraculous signs? So there was a deep division of opinion among them. What are these guys fighting about that he did a miracle on the Sabbath? Now, I think most of us at this point know that there's a day of the week when Christians and Jews um, aren't supposed to work because God wants us to have a day of rest. But surely that doesn't count the Son of God healing someone from blindness. Surely they don't mean you can't do a miracle on the Lord's day. That's right. They're not upset about the miracle, everyone. They're upset about the mud. They're upset that he made a ball of mud. 
You see, these guys, the Pharisees, they wrote these extra laws meant to protect the Bible so that you wouldn't accidentally break the Sabbath. And one of them was a big list of stuff that you could and couldn't do on the Sabbath. And one of the things you couldn't do was kneading, like kneading bread dough or dirt and spit to make mud. Some people think Jesus made this mud ball just to test these guys because he often could heal people just with touching or even saying that they were healed. But he, he, he makes this mud ball just to show. These guys are going to see a guy, a miracle of God, healed from blindness, and they're going to be focused on this mud ball. This is what's going to cause all the problems. These are the people that frustrated Jesus the most. Because they were always asking him, do some signs to us to prove that you're the son of God. And then when he would, they'd come up with something like a mud ball to discount it. Basically, it works like this. They'd already decided in their mind, if God is going to rescue Israel, he's going to rescue him through us. If God is going to bring a Messiah or Savior, he's going to bring him from our group. And if someone doesn't look like us, then that's not the Savior. And we'll find anything to prove it's not true. If we have to get down to a ball of mud. You meet people like this all the time in your life who have these litmus tests. If your miracle doesn't meet my criteria, then you didn't have a miracle. If you're a Christian who doesn't look like I look, then you're not a real Christian. If you're not a Christian who talks like I talk and listens to what I listen to and watch what I watch and vote for who I vote for, then you're not the real deal. And they've decided that before they've even heard the story about what God, did in your, what God did in your life. Some folks believe God only saves people just like them. Here is what we need to understand if we're going to share faith with folks like that. And, and this is kind of hard, but here it is. You can't argue with a mind that is that made up. There's nothing you're going to say that's going to change a mind like that. These guys saw a guy who was born blind healed. And they're still like, yeah, but what about the mud ball? You can't change that kind of mind. All you can do is pray for these folks in your life. That God will show them something. That will shake them out of this understanding. That God only likes people like you. They've got to see something with their own eyes that says, God could work different ways. It already happened in this passage, Right? Some of those Pharisees said, now wait a minute, if he was such a sinner, how did he heal the blind guy? And for the rest of Jesus' ministry, some Pharisees will follow Jesus. Some of them even sneak up to listen to him talk at night. So it was already happening that the work of God, some people could see and like, okay, this might be different than what I've been taught. So that's our understanding. Here's a bit of strength for you. Some of you don't fit the standard issue, church-going American Christian. I don't either. You noticed. (laughs) Um, But just because someone writes you off doesn't mean you're written off. Your evidence is what God is doing in your life. And if that's not good enough for someone else's profile or test... That doesn't matter. Other people can write you off and say, you're not the real deal. God didn't do a work in your life, but that doesn't mean he didn't. You keep following Christ. Keep following Jesus. And pray for them that they could see it might look a little bit different than it did for them. It will set them free too. Let's finish our passage with the 
last type of person who just can't believe that Jesus is Lord. Verse 17, then the Pharisees again questioned the man who had been blind and demanded, what's your opinion of the man who healed you? The man replied, I think he must be a prophet. The Jewish leaders still refused to believe the man had been blind and could now see. So they called his parents. They asked him, is this your son? Was he born blind? If so, how can he see now? His parents replied, uh, we know this is, this is our son. And he was born blind. But we don't know how he can see or who healed him. Uh, ask him. He's, he's old enough to speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had announced that anyone saying Jesus was the Messiah would be expelled from the synagogue. And that's why they said, he's old enough, ask him. I sometimes wonder on this passage if they didn't have to clarify he was old enough because he was young enough that maybe it was questionable. Like maybe this is a teenager. And they're like, uh, he's reached the age where he can testify for himself. You just ask him. I don't know. But these parents this is a sad story this should be their greatest day of joy the son they have raised who now they had to put out on the street to beg because they couldn't take care of him anymore he can see but they've been threatened that if anyone acknowledges that it was jesus the messiah who did it that they're going to get kicked out of the synagogue and that's a lot bigger risk than for you and i these days to get kicked out of the church if we did that to you you could just go up the street to united methodist join a great church up there on Woods Chapel. But not so in their day. Their day, the synagogue was the center of spiritual life. If they get kicked out of the synagogue, people won't shop at their business anymore and they won't be welcome to shop at anyone else's business anymore. And they're not getting invited to the festivals and celebrations or maybe not even spoken to. They might as well just move to the next town if that happens. They can see the signs of this miracle leading to Jesus and yet they have to pretend to be blind and that they can't see those signs. They have to be blind by choice and leave their son to wrestle with these characters all by himself on his first day as a sighted person. They have to abandon him. Some folks are afraid that being Christian is no longer socially acceptable and that you could lose friends, family, career, status, I brought a clip with me from the TV show Silicon Valley. It's, it's not a show that I know a lot about, but I, I heard that this clip was in it, and I looked it up, and, and so I brought it to share. Now, in this scene, someone has been in a, in a tech meeting, like at a tech firm, and one of the guys just happened to mention during the meeting that the guy sitting next to him was a Christian, that he went to church. And then the meeting went on. And here is a scene of what happens after the meeting. So, that went well. Started out a little weird, but things really picked up. Why did you do that? Why did you say that? Say what? Richard, you just told a room full of tech people that I'm a Christian. Oh, okay. But, but you are, aren't you? Yes, but I told you that in confidence. I said between you and me. I'm not openly Christian. Thanks a lot, man. You just outed me. Guys, it can't be that big of a deal, right? Why should it be? America loves Christians. Muslims are the enemy. Well, that's true in most of America, but not in Silicon Valley, sadly. Sadly? You can be openly polyamorous, and people here will call you brave. You can put microdoses of LSD in your cereal, and, and people will call you a pioneer. But the one thing you cannot be is a Christian. I find their theology to be illegitimate, and it's clear that 
They are the source of the majority of the world's problems. And that's what people live in fear of. They live in fear of a reaction like that. And that's our understanding of where they're coming from. Our strength comes that we have to ask ourselves this question because we may also fear this sort of being cast out, left out, ostracized. We have to ask ourselves this one question. Is Jesus the Son of God or not? If Jesus is not the Son of God, then you have another question to answer, and that is, who then do you turn to when you're at the end? And I I don't mean like the end of your life, although I do also mean that, but just the end of your resource, the end of yourself, when you need something more than what you've got, who do you turn to if Jesus is not the Son of God? Do you turn to a different God? What do you know about them? Do you turn to this culture? Is that what this culture does, is take care of people when they're, they need it the most? We've bent, these people are bending their identity and shaping their identity to fit in with culture. Is it a culture that will take care of them? Yourself, that's probably your best option, yourself. You'll take care of yourself from here on out. Do you have all the tools you need for that? I choose to throw in my lot with God and with his son, Christ Jesus. And if Jesus is the son of God, then his words are true and all of his words are true including these words from John chapter 15, just a few chapters away from where we are. Jesus said, The world would love you as one of its own if you belonged to it, but you're no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world, so it hates you. Do you remember what I told you? A slave is not greater than its master. Since they persecuted me, naturally they will persecute you. And if they had listened to me, they would listen to you. They will do all this to you because of me, for they have rejected the one who sent me. They would not be guilty if I'd not come and spoken to them, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Anyone who hates me also hates my father. If I hadn't done such miraculous signs among them that no one else could do, like healing a man born blind, they would not be guilty. But as it is, they have seen everything I did, and yet they still hate me and my father. This fulfills what is written in the scriptures. They hated me without cause. I'll read a little further than what our screens go because I just happened to look down at this a couple of days ago and there's more. But I will send you the advocate, the spirit of truth. He will come to you from the Father and will testify about me. And you must also testify about me because you have been with me from the very beginning of my ministry. You must also testify. This is our mission, everyone. This is our mission to tell others the good news of Christ Jesus. And it is not going to be an easy mission. Our lives have to be the evidence that God does heal people. God does change people. And our church has to be a place that welcomes the people that God is doing that work in. 
Even if they don't have the right clothes, the right haircut, the right speech, the right whatever. And I shouldn't even say right, even if it's just different than we're used to. Because how many of these things are really right or wrong to begin with anyway? And our church must stand. We must stand for Christ, even when we are unpopular. Just as we did in times past when culture cared what we had to say about almost everything. It was easy to stand for Christ in the 90s when 80% of millennial teenagers went to a youth group somewhere. And it was easy to stand with Christ after 9-11 when even the adult bookstore over on 7 Highway had a sign in the window that said, Pray for America. It was easy to stand for Christ 2008 to 2012 during the Great Recession when people flooded into church because they were afraid of losing everything. But now, not as easy. Now is our test. Now is when we really need the power of the Holy Spirit. And now is when it matters the most because everyone needs God just as much as they always did. Now they're not aware of it. This is our time to stand. Let us pray. Lord Christ, we thank you for the work that you have done in us, among our family and friends. May we proclaim it. Lord, help shake us awake if we have a picture of your good news that's smaller than it should be. And Lord, help us to remember who it is that made us and has purpose for us. Who is the only one we need to please in all the universe. Help us to stand in Jesus' name. Amen.